Welcome to Crime Scene Time Machine. You are here because you're interested in the truth. And the truth is, sometimes, awkward. Today we're going to be discussing the age-old question of the philosopher versus the physicist. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Views expressed on this podcast are for entertainment purposes only and are not meant to stir unrest or civil disobedience in any way. We're just talking here. Also, this episode is brought to you by Evidence Room, the world's leader in forensic animation. Found on the web at evidence-room.net. Okay, and that introduction in part is brought to you by Tim Robinson and the comedy series called I Think You Should Leave. The funniest skit ever possibly put on streaming. (laughs) That's why I think I called this episode Not Everybody Knows How to Do Everything, right? And the whole idea of this episode is to kind of break apart the classic skeptic, the classic debunker, the classic intellectual uh, that kind of poo-poos the ideas of the spectacular, like the UFO phenomenon, alien life, things like that. Also, um, you know, it goes into the thinking behind conspiracy theorists and JFK assassination and, and really the whole disinformation campaign that's been put forth in America for the last, you know, 50, 60 years. So that was the premises for this episode, uh, asking why, not how, uh, or both, really. Uh, And you can do more than one thing at the same time, right? We can all chew gum and walk. Uh, So uh, for these specialists uh, in certain areas of expertise that will not consider anything outside of their very narrow view of uh, expertise, I think is relatively short-sighted. So, you know, we're just going to be examining that a little bit today, having a little bit of fun, sit back and enjoy, uh, and then we're going to get into a little bit of Kurt J. Mungle and uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and their uh, episode. Uh, And also, you know, I've been really busy lately, so we haven't been able to put out as many episodes. We had the mid-year wrap-up I just testified a couple of times. I got some big cases coming up. So this is kind of how it's going to be for a little while until, uh, you know, we get past the busy season. So anyway, thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate you. And uh, anyway, here's the show. Not everybody knows everything, right? And in the world of intellectualism and how it's applied to analyzing the 
truly spectacular events that are unfolding before the world as we speak. Uh, they give us kind of this old school approach toward, well, you got to be able to prove every single element of everything uh, before it can be accepted uh, by the legacy uh, media or institutions, right? And for me, this journey started with John F. Kennedy assassination investigation when I realized that, um, uh, you know, there was multiple shooters. And then the natural uh, uh, instinct is, well, why? And then, well, who? And, you know, I usually forgot the how first, right? And um, But it, it, it forces you to go outside of your area of expertise and gather information from other core areas to either support or uh, deny your hypothesis. And I think that same thing is happening right now with the UFO community and the extraterrestrial phenomenon or the non-biological entity phenomenon, the UAP uh, situation with these whistleblowers coming before Congress and all of these things that really up until the last couple of years are strictly science fiction and you were a boob or a kook if you believed it uh, outside of, you know, uh, mainstream movies like E.T. And, and that kind of thing, right? Um, but if you actually tried to investigate it in the real world, you were put on the scale of uh, Bigfoot, right? And that's a whole other subject that we might talk about someday. So um, what we're having here, this first clip, is a conversation between Kurt Dreimungle and um, on the Theories of Everything podcast. And Neil deGrasse Tyson, famous astrophysicist who represents all of science, uh, and uh, he's the arbiter of the truth, apparently, uh, for the intellectuals and the institutions in which prop him up. Same with Bill Nye, the science guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, two guys that I used to really love now, I just kind of, I don't know, uh, feel like I'm getting a weird vibe from them. Uh, so let's break it down and have some fun. And here's the first clip. Take it away, Kurt Mungle. What I'm saying is that they're saying, hey, we would just like more evidence with regard to this. We would like more funding. Good. We would like people to not scorn this subject. So Avi Loeb created the Galileo Project, and he's getting funding, and so he's off and running. So fine. Go ahead. So what, what, point are you, what point are you trying to make? I don't know what point you're trying to make. I don't think that skepticism is motivated by rationality. I think skepticism is motivated by the fear of seeming foolish, and that skepticism is associated with intellectualism. And conspiracy theories are associated with being unintellectual. So it's a fairly clear-cut case for someone who wants to be seen as intellectual. And there's something like a liberalism of ideas, like, okay, let's test out different hypotheses. Let's hear what else could be the case. Or there's ostensible intellectualism, and I think that the skeptic will choose what appears highbrow most of the time. That's what I think. Because I think they should be encouraging. But how does that apply to all this? So, so what are you saying? I think we're in agreement. We may be using different words. And because it's a charged subject, it sounds like we're arguing, but like, I don't care. Like, I'll hug you if I was to be that person. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what he said there is pretty brilliant. That skepticism disguises itself as intellectualism. But what it really is, is fear. And they couch actual curiosity of anomalies as conspiracy theories to diminish a probability. I, I think that's 
just really one of the most succinct uh, ways to explain uh, the subject. And I thank you, Kurt Jaimungle, for uh, being able to be so eloquent as to, um, you know, put it that way. Okay, so here's my vibe, my takeaway on uh, NDT. <laughs> I curse my muggle. Like, he just seems angry. And he's like, physicists are number one. Like, oh, Doyle rules. <laughs> 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 Philosophers are a bunch of Nancy boys. All they do is sit on the couch and think. Who needs thinking? We're doing. <laughs> I mean, such a, anyway, that's kind of my vibe on like the whole thing. But here, take a listen to this specific little clip. I don't know how long it's going to be. Maybe three minutes. Uh, <laughs> enjoy. Set of questions that no one's asking. If we're being visited, how come only the government knows about it? And have you ever... Well, Neil... Okay, hold on. ...for the government? Do you realize how incompetent the government Let actually me. is? Does anyone actually know this? That they could actually stockpile aliens and no one would know? Okay, I feel as if you're digging yourself into a hole, and I love you, Neil, I love you, and I'm reaching out. Firstly... You're an alien. That's... <laughs> That'd be great. Because several millions of people believe that the government is hiding something. There are whistleblowers, like we just talked about, who've come out. Several of them, like Lou Elizondo, there's David Grush. I'm sure there's more. Then there are also other programs that the government has kept secret. I don't think it's as easy to sneak in a smartphone as, as you may think, like with the NSA back then. And it should be much easier now for information to come out. Existence of the NSA wasn't revealed until years later. And then the extent of which what they were doing wasn't revealed till decades later and then there's mk ultra then there's also i also might add operation mockingbird operation paperclip operation fishbowl and of course the antarctic treaty when you petition with foia requests freedom of information act requests so here so where you go which where are you going at going with here i'm just saying i'm not convinced they're aliens that's all i'm saying i'm not saying they're not lights in the sky we can't explain i'm saying i and I'm not, I don't have the interest to spend my professional life investigating them on the premise that they're aliens. I, by the way, NASA and my field have been searching for aliens for decades. It's not that we don't care about aliens. We have the entire SETI program, for goodness sake. And it's been going strong with fits and starts since the 1970s. Firstly, you're an alien. That's, you're gonna say, <laughs> that'd be great. We sent signals in the 1960s out of the Arecibo telescope to a, a, a cluster of stars called M, the Hercules Globular Cluster M13. I think that was the cluster. Um, so it's not like we're not interested in aliens. Of course we are. But whistleblower testimony of what someone says they saw, I don't count that as science. <laughs> Air hug. Not science enough to redirect my career to investigate it as aliens. Let somebody else investigate it for what it is. Is it a threat to us? Is it not? Is it a glitch in the detector? Is it anything else? By all means, check it out. So the proposition isn't, Neil, please, you must change your career now, given this. The proposition also isn't that testimony is the same as science. The proposition is that there is no smoking gun. 
And the smoking gun type of evidence isn't the only type of evidence. It is if you're making an extraordinary claim. If you're making, oh, the sun, I saw the sun rise this morning. You know, I don't need that much evidence from you to, to agree with your statement, okay? I, don't, I really don't, because I would expect that to be true based on everything I know of the natural world. Yeah, and I'd like to take Neil's point here about you can assume certain things are true based on your understanding of the natural world. And when we look at things like, say, the John F. Kennedy assassination, you know in the natural world that there are internal enemies that have uh, divergent interests from you and that those people who have divergent interests from you and have the power and the ability and the means to assassinate you could possibly assassinate you. It's the nature of the natural world. Get it? <laughs> so there are many cases where smoking gun is not important. We infer the existence of exoplanets without ever having seen one, right? Of the 5,000 exoplanets, uh, what, 4,500 uh, of them are inferred by the movement of the host star? No, half maybe. I don't know the latest numbers. There's a mixture of how we discover them. At least half are discovered by their gravitational effect on the host star. And we deduce the mass, the period, the thing, without ever even seeing them, all right? Because we're not making a claim of something that's defying laws of physics or what we think might show up a dozen other ways. So smoking guns do matter depending on what kind of claim you're making. They do. Okay, so let's say you encountered something that was extraordinary. Sure. What do you do? I'm trying, I will try to get extraordinary evidence in support of it. Yes. That's instantly. That's what I would do. If I saw aliens walking, I'd pull out my smartphone. I'd, I'd find a video. I would um, try to steal something off their hip. <laughs> so I have an artifact. I would, oh my gosh. I, I yell to other people, get images of the same thing. That's what I would do. I wouldn't just say, this is interesting. Now let me go to Congress and tell everyone that I had an encounter with aliens. No, I wouldn't expect anybody, any of my colleagues to believe me. Even if it were true, I would be seeking the kind of evidence that extraordinary claims require. And that's extraordinary evidence. Let's say you saw some orb. Mm -hmm. And perhaps even you saw an alien. Perhaps even it abducted you. It didn't let you take out your... It didn't even occur to you. Because, by the way... This is a common experience with anyone. It's not just related to aliens. Firstly, it's difficult to get a photo of anything that's in the sky with your cell phone when you don't know where it is. I was walking in the woods with my family, and there was a porcupine up in the tree. And then my brother I didn't know they climb trees. They climb trees? Well, that's dangerous. And we said, well, wow, whoa, whoa. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Firstly, we're just startled. And so our system, too, the, I don't like that phrase. But I don't think porcupines climb trees. But go on. Okay. Anyway, on. there's a porcupine in the tree. And it didn't occur to any of us to take out our phones. And further, like five seconds later or ten seconds later, it's just gone. And that's a porcupine. Like, try finding a non-professional photographer's photo of a porcupine online. I did a search for that. Same with lemurs. And there are many lemurs and porcupines. I think there's 20,000 times more lemurs and porcupines, maybe 100,000 times, than there would be these anomalous objects, whatever they are. That's hard. Yeah, the science is hard. Secondly, even when there are images... Whatever it is, it's easier than detecting... The gravitational wave from colliding black holes. And thirdly, there does exist, while there doesn't exist 
Greek photos, and by the way, that's contested because the government seems to have some photos that they won't release, which is why... That's called a conspiracy theory, doesn't it? That's what that sounds like, but go on. They come wow. for your request. Like, you can ask the government asshole. what do you have, and then they can tell you the reason why they're not going to give it to you. Like, this is classified. This violates okay. this law. Of course it's going to have classified. What are you trying to... What are you getting at here with this conversation? <laughs> Neil, this can get to such traumatic events that people... You can imagine. I'm not even going to say it because it's on YouTube and maybe they'll get censored. They have no evidence. And someone could just say, why didn't you record? Weren't you in the right state of mind? And then let's imagine they have a people testifying for them. People. Then we say, hey, it's in crescent evidence. So it's evidence that increases your credence by a bit. Yeah. No, no. It's not, about cred it's not a matter of credence. It's, it's eyewitness testimony gathered that's consistent says, this is excellent. Now we need to bring the methods and tools of science to investigate this. Yes, I agree. I okay. agree. So that's Which what would include pulling your damn smartphone out and not being shocked at the porcupine in the tree, which might not have even been a porcupine because I didn't know porcupines climb trees. You might have been seen. Okay. <clears throat> Listen, Mr. Tyson, you are... All right, I'll save my thoughts. Let's just continue on for a second. ...something else. I thought it was a porcupine. Okay. Well, how did the porcupine climb? Really? Really? They, they, they got stubby little legs. How are they going to climb a tree? Yes. They he is so diverting the issue. This is the classic debunker right here. Neil deGrasse Tyson is a classic debunker. He's not a skeptic. He's a diversionary debunker. So Kurt John Mungle is really doing a great job of patience and virtue, trying to be kind and not badger uh, NDT into uh, focusing on what he's trying to say. He's being a lot more patient than I would be. Uh, you know, he keeps on bringing up the fucking porcupine. That was a goddamn example. <laughs> Degrasse. All right, let's get back to it. Regularly climb trees in search of food. That's new to me. Yeah. Okay, so take that. It's new to you. Like, don't that's mean great. that's like, hey, that's great. I don't know it. Therefore, it's not true. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> no, 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 you keep putting words in my mouth. No, he doesn't. You, you're trying to characterize what I say to make your argument look good. And that's not what I've been saying. No, no. Quote me accurately before you criticize what I say, rather than reshape it so that you can make a comment that sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, I was being facetious, and I thought that that was clear. But also, the same is being done with you. I say you're strawmanning people by saying, I don't know what it is, therefore aliens. People I, do say that. They do say few that. People. No, not few people. How many people do you interact with daily? I do, and I, I have I have comment threads. There's a whole, what, no, what percent? Half, maybe? I'm, uh, half will say that... I saw a UFO. It did things that defy the laws of physics. It must have been an alien. That is one of the most common accounts for lights in the sky that defy. They say, and then it zipped away faster than any airplane. It must have been an alien. Do, do, do you realize how common that is? And I'm saying, we don't know what it is. It's fascinating. Let's investigate further. Go right yes, ahead. yes. Great, great. I like that last part. I'm not quite a fan of the first part. Because even if that's What's the, the first case, part is saying that like fifty percent of people say I've seen something, it didn't. That's my that's my very loose. 
That's my loose statistics on that. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's 70%, which I actually think is maybe 25, but it doesn't matter. Okay, okay. It's not 1%, it's not 99%. Yeah, right. sure, okay. sure. The issue is that we are supposed to deal with the strongest argument. We don't take the case of even if it's the majority of people. No, the strongest argument would be actual scientific data, not eyewitness testimony. I have some notes here. Sure, go. This comes from Kevin Knuth. So basically he's saying... That look, I have papers. Kevin Knuth is a professor of physics, by the way, and the editor-in-chief of Entropy Journal and MD. You know, listen, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I've got a few notes for you here. Uh, you know, one of the things that he says, and first of all, Neil deGrasse Tyson has no riz. This guy's got no game whatsoever in trying to woo uh, people who... Uh, are curious into the game, okay? Uh, because he feels that since we are no longer in the classic era of science, meaning uh, it's no longer about what you can see, hear, feel, touch, or sense with your senses, uh, those are no longer reliable because it's a human sense, Okay, so he says humans now have created tools and those tools that humans have created are better than the human sensibility that they organically have because he is of the opinion that humans have unreliable senses. So to me, I feel like there's a bit of a conundrum there. Uh, uh, in that uh, we, either we have no sensibility, humans have no sensibilities, therefore we should rely upon the tools that humans make as being more reliable. I, I find that philosophy incredibly flawed. Uh, and then he goes on to say that UFO experts and reporters are just people on the couch who like lights in the sky. <laughs> uh uh, you know, he talks about SETI, which is ridiculous. Listen, SETI has, uh, using antiquated analog technology of radio signals to uh, communicate or try to communicate in real time uh, over light years of time space. So even if those signals were... Uh, going out there and being heard, let's say it takes 30 light years, 30 years for the radio signal to go through space, 30 years. Then the person that receives it sends a radio signal back. It would take another 30 years. So 60 years to complete one communication. Hello, 30 years. Hello, 60 years. Okay, SETI is ridiculous. It will never, uh, although, frankly, there is one instance where it's possible that SETI did actually get a communication back, but it wasn't a return signal back via radio. It was a return signal back via a crop circle. Not a crop circle, but a crop design. Uh, and we'll put some evidence up there about that a little bit later. Uh, he goes on to talk about if UFOs are real, that uh, we have a billion 
cell phones with cameras and we should crowdsource it. Well, we are. There are literally hundreds of thousands of visual documentation of cell phones all over the internet for the last 25 years uh, of encounters with UFOs and aliens. Uh, but then he goes on to say, well, that is no longer reliable evidence because we have deep fake technology. So video evidence is no longer the standard. The only way you can convince Neil deGrasse Tyson that UFOs or aliens are real is to physically have an alien walk up to him and, you know, kiss him on the face. But then he would probably say, well, uh, that was, uh, uh, that's not convincing because you can deep fake physical tissue now. <laughs> okay, come on. Uh, so he does, and I think uh, Kurt John Mungo does a great job in talking about how people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and, say, guys like Michael Shermer, uh, these professional debunkers, set up straw men so that they can easily knock down an argument that they are not willing to discuss. Uh, so, for example... Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson makes this uh, uh, assert that he talks to hundreds of thousands of people every year, which I think is probably bullshit. And people, half the people come up to him and say, I saw lights in the sky and it zipped away. Uh, therefore, it's an alien. <laughs> that's, that's the definition of a straw man. So he's knocking down the whole argument because he gives you a myopic example. All right, let's get back to it. I see it as a practical reality of the philosopher no longer being as useful as they once were to the physicists asking questions on the scientific frontier. That's my view of this. I, if, you, if that's flawed, let me know. But that's how I see it. It is flawed. So I see it as, since the 40s or so, trying to wrap one's head around with what's going on in quantum mechanics you was can't, so difficult. But you can't wrap your head around it. So we just do it. That's my point. That's, that's my whole point. The world is that way. So we can say, let's deep, try to deep. Is it a multi-world? Is it a thing? Is, go ahead. But I'm still making experiments. And I'm still deducing the nature of the world from those experiments. I wonder and how those many questions a philosopher might ask, I'm just saying, have not been as useful. By the way, the physicists themselves can think philosophically. And we all do all the time. I mean, <laughs> we embrace as deep a thought as all we can the time. muster. So I'm not, I'm not making light of what it is to think philosophically about the world, <laughs> but to go to school to be trained as a philosopher and then knock on the physicist's door, Ooh. I haven't seen one contribute in the last century. Wow. I would go back to the 1920s, not even the 1940s. Wow. Okay, firstly, there's Norton's dome, which is a philosophical experiment. What is that? What is that? What is that dome? It shows that indeterminism is there even in classical mechanics okay so, so that's a philosophical uh, sorry a thought experiment that is extremely interesting and also in what way did it affect the progress of physics <laughs> did it and when did it come out and it's from 2003 oh so recent yeah that's a recent thing so did, did that get folded into some new science experiment and understanding <laughs> i mean I, i'm just saying go ahead i'm not i'm not stop you all from thinking that way. 
but I have planets to discover. I have moons to measure. I have ice geysers on, you know, there's stuff Do you know how that I care about. Fucking and I want to know about it, and it makes headlines. And arrogant, you, you know, sound. The black holes colliding. All right? This is, these are things that, so, by the way, in high school, um, He's, we had. I'm going to pause this. I'm going I'm to pause this right now. Uh, just, just, just to say, I, it's, he, you're going to hear him evolve through this conversation with Kurt Jaimungo, who does a fantastic job of holding him to account on kind of intellectual honesty and calling out his shortcomings on how he thinks about things. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, let's continue on. And we had various journals. There's a biology journal that conducted and run by students, a biology journal, a math journal, and a physics journal. Uh, there was also a poetry journal, but it was less, we, we were science geeks, not literary geeks. And some of the funnest times I've had were sitting, you know, chewing the fat during study break, study hall. But was it a break or were we supposed to be actually doing coursework? <laughs> we would just, we would just talk about some of the deepest issues of our understanding of the universe that we possibly could. And it was fun. It was, but, not, but it didn't sum to anything such as learning new ways to uh, compute differential equations, for example. So, but I have planets to discover. <laughs> I have ice geysers on, you know. Okay. I saw lights in the sky and it zipped away, uh, therefore it's an uh, alien. <laughs> that's, that's the definition of a straw man. So he's knocking down the whole argument because he gives you a myopic example. All right, let's get back to it. Yeah, I, I actually don't care about people's pedigree. If they're right, they're right, regardless of their pedigree. And if they're wrong, they're wrong, regardless of their pedigree. Thank you for telling me that, but don't invoke that as some measure of whether or not what he's saying is more true than someone else's account. What if you get to where you're going and it's a job interview and I turn out to be the boss? I'm not going to a job interview! You could be a year from now. Oh my God. Everybody says, oh, that guy seems great. I'm saying, hold on, wait a minute. Welcome back. We're going to be shifting gears a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Arecibo message was a uh, message sent out by Radio Signal, kind of binary, explaining the human condition. And whether there was a reply or not is going to be the subject of next week's episode. But until then, uh, from everybody here at Crime Scene Time Machine to everybody out there, I love you, planet Earth. See you next time. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Porcupines do climb trees.